of heights to the depths of the sea. And so, you know, as we look at this chapter, you know, when I think of this, the thing that comes to my mind is God is a God of order, isn't he? You know, here's Solomon starting this new kingdom, and right off the bat, we see Solomon very organized. Welcome, everyone. You're listening to Truth in Christ Radio, a Bible teaching radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Rochester with senior pastor and teacher Rob Kellogg. Just as the story of mothers contending over one baby was an example of Solomon's great wisdom, this chapter shows Solomon's wisdom also. The wise way he selected, trained, empowered, and supervised leaders is clearly seen. No wise leader does it all themselves. They know how to delegate responsibility and authority and get the job done. Solomon's great wisdom enabled him to see the needs to get, train, and employ the right people to meet those needs. He knew that God is a God of design and organization, and that things simply operate better and more efficient when organized. Now let's join Pastor Rob with today's study. Tonight we're going to be looking at uh, 1 Kings chapter 4 and possibly chapter 5. We'll see how things go. But you remember, the last time we were together, we looked at chapter 3, and chapter 3 of 1 Kings was after Solomon had become king, and if you recall, David, before he died, he basically told his son that there were certain individuals that he needed to be careful of. Certain individuals he needed to watch watch out for because David knew that they might be a detriment to the people of God, and certainly to his reign, and David being a good father, even though he wasn't the best father, we looked at that when we were in First and Second Samuel, but now as he is approaching death, he's realizing, I've got to really take care of things for my son, because he's coming into the reign of being king over all of Israel at a very young age. We, we think that uh, Solomon was somewhere in his early 20s, maybe even in his late teens, early 20s, when he came to the throne. And so there was a lot of inexperience, um, and there were a lot of things that, um, that David wanted to instill within his son before he passed on. And you remember, there were certain individuals, certainly Adonijah, David's fourth son, who tried to overrule or overrun David with a coup, and uh, he was ultimately executed after David had passed away. Uh, That was one of the first things that had happened. Um, And we also know that one of the priests, one of the high priests, Abiathar, he was also uh, banished. Uh, He wasn't executed because he was a priest, and that was just God's grace. But he turned against David, and remember, sided with Adonijah, David's son, in coming against him. So he was banished, and only Zadok, who was the other high priest, continued in that uh, occupation. And we also know that Joab, who was David's nephew, uh, 
Uh, remember, David's sister, his half-sister, her name was Zeruiah, and she had uh, three sons, and uh, they were mighty men in David's army. And Joab was his general, and ultimately Joab turned against David and sided with Adonijah, and he was ultimately executed as well. And Shimei, you remember, he was the gentleman who cursed David. Uh, he wasn't executed like the others were. He was given very. He was under house arrest, basically. He violated that house arrest, and thus he was killed as a result of his not being faithful to what Solomon had given him very specific, specifically concerning that. And then you remember in chapter 3, uh, Solomon goes to Gibeon where they used to sacrifice at the high place there. A high place was a place of idolatrous worship. That's where they did a lot of the worship. Uh, whether it was idolatrous or whether they sacrificed to Jehovah God, it was still the same defiled location where pagans had um, continued um, sacrificing to their false idols. And it was interestingly that that place where God spoke to Solomon in a dream, and, and God basically wrote Solomon a blank check and said, Solomon, ask, what is it that you would like for me to do for you? I mean, think about that. Think about if God came to you tonight and said to you in a dream or in a vision of some kind and says, what would you like? And, and then the response that you would give, that would be the real telling thing. I mean, what would we say? How tempted would we be to say, Lord, I want, uh, you know, I want like 17 million. Well, why not just try 34 million? Just double it. $34 million in the bank. I want all my stuff paid for. I want to have good health, you know, and all these things. And, and Solomon, and it's interesting, he, he, he didn't mention any of that. It wasn't even on his mind or his heart. And that's why God could make him one of the wealthiest men in the world, because it wasn't on the altar of his heart. In fact, he said, he says, you know, Lord, you, you, my God, you have made your servant king instead of my father David, but I'm a little child. I do not know how to go out or to come in. And he says, just give me an understanding heart to judge and to be able to rightly judge these people of yours, to rightly be able to figure out difficult things and to do the right thing by the people. See, it was other-centered. It was never about Solomon being the most wealthy man. I wonder what would happen if God would have told him or if he knew ahead of time that God was going to bless him the way he did. You know, but I'm glad that the Lord didn't do that. Because we really find out really where Solomon was really at. He's just like, you know what, I'm a very young guy. I've just come into this reign of my father. He was one of the greatest kings he made his mistakes, but he's prepared everything. Everything is prepared for me. David did all of that for him. And now here I am, but I need help. I need help. And God says, you know what? Help is on the way. In fact, help has already come, Solomon, because I've already planted it within you. You are going to be the wisest man in all of the earth. There's never going to be one that has come before you or come after you, except for Jesus, of course. There is going to be no man on this earth that's going to be as wise as you are. And that still stands today, by the way. And I'm going to give you what you didn't ask for, Solomon. I'm going to give you all the wealth and the riches of the world. And he did. For even from his standard, he was extremely the most wealthy man that the world has ever known. 
God gave him great wisdom and great wealth. And usually the wealth is what corrupts. But it wasn't wealth that corrupted Solomon. It was his wives. It was his wives. And ladies, this is nothing against you. It just it happens to be a, a weakness in, in people and certainly in men. If it's not money, it's women. If it's not women, it's pride or something. It's usually one of those three. And Solomon certainly fell for that. And then we saw after that Solomon's wisdom on display as those two women, those two harlots who had two babies and one rolled over on the one during the night and then when they awoke, the, one of the women switched the baby and the dead one was with the woman who was really had a live child. So they go before Solomon and Solomon, in order to figure out uh, who the real mother was, he created a ruse, really. He created a situation where he says, uh, bring a sword and we'll just divide the child in half. She says it's her child. She says it's her child. So we'll just finish this right now. Bring a sword. We'll just divide the child in half and we'll put part of the child in her arms and part of the child. And the real mother spoke up. The woman who knew that it was her son, she said, I'll gladly give him up because I, I can't. I would, I would rather have him alive and know that he's okay. And Solomon knew right then, because the other woman was like, no, kill him, cut him in half. So Solomon knew just from the, the maternal instinct that a mother has, he knew and was able to bring out into the open the true mother of this child. And people were amazed at Solomon's wisdom. And so that's where we left off. And so let's just read through the whole chapter of chapter 4, and then we'll go back and take a look at it. So now David, or excuse me, Solomon, is uh, established. He's, he's getting there. The, the temple hasn't been built yet. So King Solomon was king over all Israel, and these were his officials. Azariah, the son of Zadok, the priest, Eli Horeph and Ahijah, the sons of Shisha, scribes, Jehoshaphat, the son of Ahilud, the recorder, Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, over the army, Zadok and Abiathar, the priests, Azariah, the son of Nathan, over the officers, Zabud, the son of Nathan, a priest and the king's friend, Ahishar over the household, and Adoniram, the son of Abda, over the labor force. And Solomon had twelve governors over all Israel who provided food for the king and his household. Each one made provision for one month of the year, and these are the names. Ben-Hur in the mountains of Ephraim. I'm sure you've heard of him before. Or at least we've heard of the name. Okay, it's not the same Ben-Hur. In the mountains of Ephraim, Ben-Decker in Mekez, Shealbim. Beth Shemesh in Elan Beth Hanan, Ben Hesed in Aruboth, to him belongs Soko and all the land of Hefer, Ben Abinadab in all the regions of Dor, he had Tapheth, the daughter of Solomon, as wife, Beana, the son of Ahilud in Teanach, Megiddo in all Bashan, which is beside Zeratan below Jezreel, from Bashan to Abel Meholah as far as the other side of Jachneam, which I'm sure you are all aware of these places and can point to them on the Israeli map without any hesitation. Ben-Geber in Ramoth-Gilead. To him belongs the towns of Jair, the son of Manasseh in Gilead. To him also belongs the region of Argob in Bashan, 60 large cities with walls and bronze gate bars. Ahinadab, the son of Iddo in Mahanaim, 
Ahimaaz in Naphtali. He also took Basmath, the daughter of Solomon, as wife. Beanna, the son of Hushai in Asher and Eloth. Jehoshaphat, the son of Perua in, in Issachar. Shimei, the son of Elah in Benjamin. Geber, the son of Uri in the land of Gilead. And in the country of Sihon, king of the Amorites, and of Og, king of Bashan, he was the only governor who was in the land. So Judah and Israel were as numerous as the sand by the sea in multitude, eating and drinking and rejoicing. And so Solomon reigned over all kingdoms from the river to the land of the Philistines, as far as the border of Egypt. And they brought tribute, and they served Solomon all the days of his life. Now Solomon's provision for one day was 30 cores of fine flour, 60 cores of meal, 10 fatted oxen, 20 oxen from the pastures, and 100 sheep besides deer, gazelles, roebucks, and fatted fowl. For he had dominion over all the region on this side of the river. Whenever you see the word river, it's speaking of the Euphrates. Okay? So... And he had peace on every side all around him, and Judah and Israel dwelt safely. I would underline that if I were you. And Judah and Israel dwelt safely, each man under his vine and his fig tree, from Dan as far as Beersheba all the days of Solomon. You might want to underline all of verse 25. That's an important verse. Verse 26, it says, Solomon had 40,000 stalls of horses for his chariots and 12,000 horsemen. And these governors, each man in his month, provided food for King Solomon and for all who came to King Solomon's table. There was no lack in their supply. And they also brought barley and straw to the proper place for the horses and steeds, each man according to his charge. And, Solomon, and God gave Solomon wisdom and exceedingly great understanding and largeness of heart like the sand on the seashore. Thus Solomon's wisdom excelled the wisdom of all the men of the east and all the wisdom of Egypt, for he was wiser than all men, than Ethan the Ezrahite, and Heman, Chalcol, and Darda, the sons of Mahol, and his fame was in all of the surrounding nations. He spoke 3,000 proverbs, and his songs were 1,005. And he spoke of trees, from the cedar tree of Lebanon, even to the hyssop that springs out of the wall. He spoke also of animals and of birds, of creeping things and of fish, and men of all nations from all the kings over the earth who had heard of his wisdom came to hear the wisdom of Solomon. Solomon, what an amazing fellow. And... Um, and so, you know, as we look at this chapter, you know, when I think of this, the thing that comes to my mind is God is a God of order, isn't he? You know, here's Solomon starting this new kingdom, and right off the bat, we see Solomon very organized. In fact, it was partly David's fault that Solomon was organized, because David, remember, received not only he, you know, God had told him he couldn't build the temple, even though it was in his heart to build the Lord a house, and to put the Ark of the Covenant in that, in a permanent place where the children of Israel would worship there on Mount Moriah in Jerusalem. But God says, you can't, David, because you're a man of war. You've got much blood on your hands, but your son will. And remember the covenant that God made to David. It's recorded for us in Second Samuel chapter 7, verses 10 through 16. 
And uh, he, he speaks to him about his son that would come after him. And he would build the house. So David's thinking to himself, if I can't build this house, then I'm going to do everything for my son. I'm going I'm to gather all the wood, all of the gold, all the silver, all of the bronze, all of the workers, everything that's needed, all the precious stones. I'm going to give it all. I'm going to mass it up in a big warehouse somewhere. And I'm going to have it all ready for him so that when he is ready, he is going to build the most beautiful structure in the history of the world. And it was the most beautiful structure in the world. And so, everything is given to Solomon. And not only that, but David got by inspiration the actual blueprint of the, the temple. And he gave that to Solomon as well. And not only that, but he ordered all the, all the servants, and he ordered them according to, uh, to groupings, you know, for each... Each month of the year, and everybody would have their rightful place in doing certain things. And it was a very well-oiled machine. And I love that because God is a God of order. Whatever God does, he doesn't do happenstance. He doesn't do half-baked. He doesn't, do, he doesn't bring order. He doesn't, he, when, when he's doing it, it's not chaotic. It's, it's very organized. And God knows what he's doing. And so he's able to give to David all of these things so that he could prepare his son. And can I tell you that the reign of Solomon was probably the most significant portion of time. That 40 years of Solomon's reign was the golden years of Israel. It has never been that good ever, in my opinion. And I think probably in many others' opinions too. Because they had peace on every side. That's never occurred. In fact... It's, it's not going to happen again until the millennial reign of Christ when he's on the earth. They aren't going to have peace. Right now, they don't have peace on every side. They've got walls, and they've got electric fences, and they've got guards with M16s. I've been there at the, right at the Lion's Gate. As you, before you even walk into the temple area, they've got guards, women, <laughs> with M16s. And they're ready to use them, and they know how to use them. But there's organization because God is a God of order. And what he does, he does well. So Solomon's reign and kingdom was highly organized. In 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 40, it says this, and I love this. Let all things be done decently and in order. Now, as Paul is speaking to the Corinthians, he's speaking about other things. But the truth of the, it's a truth. Let all things be done decently and in order. And that's why we try to do that as much here as we can, so that there's no chaos. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, um, again, in the 33, 33rd verse, it says, For God is not the author of confusion, but, um, but of peace. He's not the author of confusion. You can always find when God is not in control or when he is not leading, there is nothing but chaos and infighting. But when God is in control and when he's doing his will, there's going to be peace. There's going to be order. So notice in that, back in that first verse, it says, So King Solomon was king over all of Israel. And this would be the first, or actually he would be the, uh, the third king. And he would be the last king that would reign over Israel as a whole. Actually, arguably the second king. 
or you know, but maybe the third king. Because we know that Saul, then certainly David, and then uh, Solomon reigned over the entire thing. But we know that after Solomon, and in the latter part of his life, his a thousand wives that he had began to turn his heart away uh, into idolatry and. It was after that that the kingdom split in two. The northern ten tribes were governed by um, um, Jeroboam, and the southern two tribes, Judah and Benjamin, were governed by Rehoboam, Solomon's son. And it would be that way for a very long time. In fact, only right now is Israel really one, but they're divided because of the... uh, the, um, the Palestinians and all of that, they don't have nearly as much land as they had. In fact, at this time in history, at Solomon's reign, they will, their territory would be the most that Israel had ever had. And it would be the most territory that Israel would ever have until, again, in the Millennial Kingdom, when there will be a lot more land that will be governed by Christ, certainly on the throne. But he, he gave them from the Euphrates all the way down to the river of Egypt. That's quite a big swath of land. And they've never, ever occupied all of that land. It's only at this time during Solomon's reign that they got even close. But still they weren't close. But it was close. Very close. Notice verse 2. And and these were his officials, Azariah, the son of Zadok. Now, when when you look at this word son, uh, it's interesting because in the Hebrew it could mean a son or a grandson. So when you read certain genealogies and you hear about a man having the, and this person was the son of this person, bear in mind, and this happens in Daniel too, sometimes it may not mean the next son, it may actually mean, you know, going back even further, it could mean a grandson, maybe not the son itself. So son can mean his son or his grandson, and, um, and this Azariah evidently was indeed the grandson of Zadok. The priest, the one that David had uh, had in, with him when he was running through the uh, Israel, running away from Saul, trying to seek uh, refuge. This is that Zadok that ruled with David. So now he's an older, much, much older man. But now his grandson, Azariah, is now the priest. And in fact, you can look at First Chronicles. You might want to just put this note off to this, this second verse here because it'll, it'll corroborate what I'm saying. It's First Chronicles chapter 6, verses 8 and 9. First Chronicles chapter 6, verse 8. Let me read it to you because it'll make sense to you. It says, Ahitub begat Zadok, and Zadok begat Ahimaaz, and Ahimaaz begat Azariah. Okay, so now you know that there is someone in between Zadok and Azariah. It was Ahimaaz. But he evidently died. And so now, when it says uh, Azariah, the son of Zadok, it's really his grandson. So just be aware of that word son as you look into the Bible. Because it could mean the, a physical son, it could mean a grandson, or even a great-grandson. Okay, So Zadok was one of the priests during uh, David's reign. So... Uh, verse 3, it says, um, Eli Horef and Ahijah, the sons of Shisha, they were scribes. And Jehoshaphat, the son of Ahilud, the recorder. I'm sorry, that's all the time we have for today. But please join us next time as Pastor Rob continues our study in the book of 1 Kings. 
Calvary Chapel of Rochester is located at 2503 Browncroft Boulevard, Rochester, New York, 14625. You can reach us at our church office between 9 a.m. and 4 p.m. Monday through Friday at area code 585-586-3140. If you would like to have an audio CD of today's message mailed to you in its unedited form, simply mention today's date when contacting our church office. You can also contact us via the web by logging on to www.calvaryrochester.com. There you will be able to access a number of useful things such as our location, service times, information concerning our beliefs, our ministries, contact information, and information regarding Bread of Life Academy, our new school opening in the fall of 2023. Just click the school link at the top of the page for more information. Additionally, you may also download or listen to the radio and sanctuary messages free of charge from the teachings link at the top of the page. To listen to Calvary Chapel of Rochester's Sanctuary Messages or Truth in Christ Radio on your mobile device, just subscribe to both through Google Play Podcast or Apple Podcast. You may also join us on Sundays and Thursdays through live streaming of our services and Bible studies. Just click on the online services link. We're so glad that you could join us today. And if there is any way we can bless you in your walk with Jesus Christ, please don't hesitate to call our church office. Remember, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And for this cause, I have come into the world that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. May God bless you in abundance today as you walk with him. And until next time, this has been Truth in Christ.